Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to return or continue our study of the book of Ephesians. We are making our way towards the end. We've taken a couple of week break and uh, we're going to jump back in here. We'll have a little stretch here where we're going to just walk through Ephesians, continue our our path along there. Uh, While we make these introductory remarks and while I read our text this morning, if you can do more than one thing at a time, I'd invite you to um, pay attention for one but also invite you to uh, just uh, say a little prayer for a little, little dry spot in my throat right here, so I'm hoping that it uh, doesn't create any issues this morning when I'm preaching. So say a prayer that uh, I would be able to communicate effectively. If you would do that, I would be, it would be a blessing to me. Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna read the first six verses. Um, it's always so hard, and I, I think you understand this. I think you, I, I, I think you can work with this, but it's always so hard to, uh, read through and chunk up things that are all supposed to, that are all tied together. So it's a constant game of trying to remind us of what we've already covered and kind of make sure we're still t- tailing everything together. But let's read together Ephesians chapter five, verses one through six, and then we will uh, jump in. We'll have plenty of things to talk about this morning, I'm sure. Paul continues what he has been saying to them. In verse one, he says, "'Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children.'" And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving." For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Lord, thank you for this uh, this short text we're going to have this morning. Thank you for the word that you've given to us. Thank you for the letter in which it fits. Thank you for the way that you've been instructing us. And I ask for nothing different this morning. I am committed and I am desperately in need of your Holy Spirit to be here this morning, God, that you could unfold this text, that it may come through my mouth, the things that you have uh, worked in me and prepared for me to say this morning, the things that you want me to say, may they come out of my mouth, the things you don't want me to say, may they not. But even beyond that or aside or in addition to that, God, may your Holy Spirit be impressing upon each one of us here the things that you want us to know from this text. I say it, I've said it before, I'll say it again, God. It is one of the things I absolutely love about you, your ability to speak Uh, from your word to a whole bunch of people individually all at once uh, maybe related things but but certainly various things things that may or may not come out of my mouth but things that you're teaching us nonetheless and that is how I want it to be thank you Lord Jesus it is you to whom we point Jesus it is you whom we worship it is you who we love it is you who we give ourselves to it is you that must be glorified and lifted up and so we pray in your name Jesus amen Well, let's jump in because, uh, well, that's a good place to start, but uh, let's jump in with the very first verse. As he's coming on the heels of, I'm just going to remind you of some things we've talked about. As he's coming on the heels of this this process that I brought to you that that said as the Holy Spirit begins to uh, enlighten our eyes, before we're in Christ, before we know uh, who God is and what Jesus has done for us, before we're aware of those things, we walk in darkness. We think we know things. We think we have things figured out. We think we know uh, how this stuff all looks. We think we know who we are. 
we think all, we know all this stuff, and we're in darkness, we're ignorant. Our hearts are hard, is what Paul has said. This is, this is referring back now a little bit in chapter four. But there's this process that goes on where the Holy Spirit begins to illuminate to us where we are ignorant or where we're uh, not understanding something correctly. And as we begin to see that, we put off the old self. That's what the language that, uh, that Paul used. We put off the old self. We're renewed in our minds, in our hearts. There's a renewal process that goes on, uh, which is, of course, to be, to be reformed or to be, to be made differently somehow. And we put on the new self. There's sort of three steps that happen. And as I told you, this is really just like an ongoing thing, right? We don't, this process doesn't ever stop. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus. It doesn't matter how mature you think you are. The process never stops because there's always things that as you get to know Jesus even better, as you continue to read his word, as you be, continue to be aware and filled with the Holy Spirit, that you realize there's something I'm still not getting quite right. There's something that I continually am not, not quite grasping or I'm falling down on still or I'm, I don't have quite worked out or I thought I had worked out, but I see that I wasn't quite right about this. And as that happens, it's the same process. We put off, we are renewed, we put on. So he walked through some of that and he gave us some practical things. That's what the other last message we had on this was about, was, was, was how that actually begins to affect our relationship with each other because that's where it has to begin. And now today, he says, I therefore, because of the things I've talked to you about, that you should uh, put away falsehood, you should not, you should not be angry, I, because you should uh, have a blessing for others, either the things you're doing or the things you're saying, you should be able to bless those around you, and because you should uh, feel inside, you should have an, a, an inner attitude of love and compassion for those around you, in those things, let me just button that up by saying, therefore, I want you to be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, I've said this a few times through this study already. I've said it not just in the Ephesians study, but in all of my preaching, I think. But I'll just say it again this morning so you hear it. These kinds of statements, which are through the Bible all over the place, these kinds of statements are not the kind of statements that lower things and say, hey, it's really easy for you to be a follower of Jesus. It's, it's not a big deal at all. It, it, we just sort of like, yes, I say a little prayer. Jesus comes in my heart and life is dandy. These are the statements that raise the bar, right? Like they, this is, this is the bar God wants to raise it to. Now, how high is that bar? How high is that bar? What are some words you think of when you think of God? That's a good place to start, right? What are some attributes of God that you know? You can just name a few of them, actually. Infinite. Holy. Righteous. Perfect, love, separate or together, doesn't matter. That's the bar that he's raising. Maybe somebody started saying that. That's the bar he's raising us to, right? We are supposed to be imitators of God. The Greek word for imitators, um, a word that may sound a little bit familiar, it's the word mimetes, which of course means to be an imitator or to mimic. That's where we get the word, at least in some sense, we get the word mimic from, to mimic. We are to mimic God. Now, this isn't some, we're not, we're not looking at this this morning, and we got, finally got to chapter 5 of Ephesians, almost at the end, and finally Paul throws this big thing that he's not been talking about in our face and says, here's really where I'm at, guys, because he's actually already said that. Remember when I talked about that whole put off, be renewed, put on? At the end of the put on sentence, he said this, that we're supposed to put on the new self, which is created, this is how God created you to be, by the way, you and I, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's actually already, in a sense, told us that that's what he wants. 
That he's already told us that when we put off and we're renewed and we put on, that that's making us be like God because that's how God created you initially. And that's what Jesus redeemed you for. Remember, we keep hanging on to those two things. We were created by God and we're redeemed for, to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. That's, what he, that, that's how he it designed you initially. Sin got in the way. But that's what Jesus bought you back for is so that you can be like him. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Now, Jesus, he's, he's not pulling us out of the air, right? Jesus said words that sound very similar. In Matthew 5, 48, he says we should be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. We should be holy. It's another phrase that's, uh, that, that's used. We should be holy as he is holy. Once again, I don't think you need the reminder, but I'll just give it to you. This is a high bar. If ever we are faced with the reality that softness or weakness or um, lessening of what the Bible asks of us as Christians, if ever we're faced with that reality, these are the kind of verses, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that brings us to. Now, I, hopefully you can receive these things in love and recognize that, that we're all at different places in this journey, right? It's not like I'm telling you this morning that if you're not perfect, you're not okay with God. I think God knows that we don't have it all figured out, right? I don't think it's a shock to God that you still made a mistake this past week that you still lost your temper, or you still said something you shouldn't have, or you still thought something you shouldn't have, or you still had an attitude you shouldn't have had. It's not a surprise to God. So when we say we're, this is the bar, we're not saying that you're out if you're not there. We're just saying that's the goal that the upward call of Christ is in us. That's the goal. We, should, we, we can stop once we get there. You, you caught what I just said, right? So when do you get to stop growing in Christ? When do you get to stop growing in Christ? In heaven. Thank you. In heaven. When the Lord comes back or he calls me home. We should be imitators of God. But let me just point out one other thing that I think it should be very helpful to us. Paul is very specific in this phrase, and I've been focusing on the first part. But did you catch the last little phrase he said in that verse 1? Just, just look back again at verse 1. Therefore, he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Suddenly, there's something else that comes in the picture because if we just put the bar up here and say, good luck, hope you get there, it doesn't feel really good, does it? It feels more like I just talked down at all of you and you're like, I'm never gonna get there, I might as well give up. But he's telling us, this is where we're going, but we should keep getting there. We should see ourselves as beloved children, as children that God loves. So we should be, as all children tend to be, by the way, children tend to imitate their parents. That's what I talked about on Mother's Day last, last week in my sermon, is that children tend to imitate their parents. So we should imitate our father. That's all he's saying. We should imitate our father, and the imitation happens most strongly when we know how loved we are. Now, that's actually good parenting advice as well, by the way. If you want to have your children follow Christ, first of all, you should be following Christ. 
That sounds a little bit like to make disciples, you have to be a disciple. You make them, you teach them to obey, right? It all fits together. But if we want our children to follow Christ, we should follow Christ so they can imitate us. And that imitation will happen in the strongest context when they know how loved they are, when they know they are beloved children, because that's how it works with us and God. When we love God, when our love, when we, sorry, I, I said it backwards. When we recognize God's love for us, it allows us to live in this relationship to grow up to this high bar so that when we fall short of it, we come back to our daddy over and over again and say, dad, I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Help me. Instead of running away and saying, my dad never wants to see me again. When we understand the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus, we don't run away when we mess up. We run to when we mess up. Now that's really hard for us. And I don't think there's a single person sitting in this room this morning that cannot acknowledge that at some point in their lives they have done the wrong thing. They've run away when they messed up instead of running to. But when we begin to understand that we're beloved children, I think it's the opposite response is what he's talking, is what happens. And love does something. When we begin to understand the love that God has for us, it does something inside of us. Well, it gives us a whole lot of security for one, and we don't, it's not part of the message this morning, so we're not going to go into it. But it does something. What I really want to get to is verse 2, because that's the next point I want to make. By the way, you have on the back side of your handout, of your bulletin, I should say, you have a handout if you didn't already discover it or don't already know about it. If you want to take notes or follow along, it just gives you all the scriptures we're going to cover. Verse 2, he says, this is, what we, this is what this looks like. If you want to imitate God, this is what it looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, there's a whole lot of theology in that verse that we're not going to have time to really dig in. But I want you to understand that Jesus Christ loved us, but when he gave himself up, it was actually a sacrifice to God. Just like every sin is first and foremost committed against God because it's his standard of holiness, not against other people, in the same way every sacrifice given up, even for other people, is first and foremost a sacrifice to God because it's to him. It's in his image we're created. You understand that? It's by him we're redeemed. We belong to him. It's part of the ownership thing again. We should walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And I want to stop right there. You may have heard me say this before, but if you have, forgive me. I'm going to say it again because it's something that I think has to be drummed into our heads and we should hear it over and over and over again. It should be the call of our lives to see the connection between that word love and that word give. It shows up in scripture all over the place. We should love we should walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up. What, what happens right there is that Paul just laid out for us what happens when we actually love people. We give ourselves up for them. And again, this connection is made in several different places. Well, we're going to read it again in, in chapter 5 of Ephesians as we get to the last part of it. But we're going to leave that one alone because we're going to go to the verse that all of us know. Every one of us could probably quote. And then we're going to see the same connection. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he he gave, right? I mean, you can keep reading there, but he gave. God loved, and so he gave. We need to start seeing that those two are inseparable. They're, they're, they're two sides of a coin that you can't, you can't pull apart. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, have everlasting life, depending on what translation you're reading. So God loved you, and he, God loved me, and God loved the entire world, and so he gave his son. Now, God was not alone in this task. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul says that Jesus picked up this theme of love and give 
And he says, Paul's saying about himself, that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, in Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. God loved us and gave us Jesus. Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us. Love, give. Love, give. When God loves, he gives of himself. When Jesus loved us, he gave of himself. If we're to be imitators of God, we're to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If we're going to say we love God, what does that mean we should do? Let's make sure we're tracking and following through and following the logic as we go here. If we say we love God, what does that mean we should do? We should give ourselves up for him. That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, we should, um, uh, it just went out of my head. Anybody know what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says? Thank you. I beseech you, brethren, by the, holy, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and blameless before him. Verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. But that, it's the first verse I was really interested in. If we love, if we say we love God, the only result can be, for it to be true, the only result can be to give ourselves up to him. Now, what does that actually look like, by the way? What does that look like? What did it look like for Jesus to give himself, to love God, love his father and give himself up? What did that actually mean? What did he actually do? Who did he actually give himself up for? For us, Right? Might I be able to suggest to us this morning that if we want to claim that we love God and therefore we must give ourselves up to him, first of all, that the actual tangible, real, applicable result of that is that we actually give ourselves up for each other because that is loving God and giving ourselves up to him. That's how it's expressed. You see the kind of nonsense we get ourselves into? Oh, I love God I, I give to him everything, but I can't get along with them. I won't give them anything. I won't forgive that person. I'm not going to share anything I have with them. I don't like what they do. Do you see that kind of nonsense? How we somehow think, think we can divide that and say that this is perfect and this is, doesn't matter? Actually, I kind of say that because that's what John wrote. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Or we could just read verse 2 again. We walk in love. We are to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, this is not stuff that Paul hasn't already been talking to us. In fact, notice how he's been driving up to this whole thing to start with. Back in chapter 3, Paul prayed that we would know the love of Christ, that we would get to know how much Jesus loves us so that we could be filled with all the fullness of God. That actually sounds like so that we would be like God. That's actually what he means by that. We would know the love of Christ so that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. That's actually just what he restated in verse one. We should be imitators of God as beloved children. 
At the beginning of verse four, he says that we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And the result of that, the first thing he pointed out about that is that that means with all humility and gentleness and patience, we are bearing with each other in love. Funny how that's the first place he went. And I made that exact same comment when we got to that place in the text. But the first place he went was how it has to do with how we treat each other, what we do with each other. And then we went on through chapter four in Ephesians and it says that we should speak the truth or we should be truth in love so that in every way, all of us together are growing up into him who is the head into Christ, that we're maturing, that we're all growing. In some sense, Paul is simply restating what he's already been driving towards and bringing in bit by bit by bit by bit and bringing it all together and saying, here's really what I'm trying to conclude for all of you, which is necessary because he started covering a few practical things. We're gonna get to a few more very practical things like husbands and wives and children and jobs and bosses and all kinds of stuff about living life that's gonna come in chapter five and chapter six. We should be imitators of God because we're loved by God and our response back is to love him by giving ourselves to him first and foremost. But that, what that really actually means is that we love others and give ourselves to them. It's why Jesus said that the two important commands that and every other command hangs on these two is what? To love God with all that we have and to love others as we love ourselves. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just a restatement of all those things. And as you are well aware of, my friends, that does not come easy, does it? Giving yourself up for other people is not the most fun thing we've ever done. It's difficult enough in our homes with our wives and our husbands and our children, isn't it? It's even more difficult in a room full of people that all live differently than we do or think, might think differently or well, who knows what might make different choices than we do, are different places of spiritual growth than we are. It's another level of difficulty, right? And it probably gets even worse if you start talking about all those people out there that are really, really awful and against God and do all kinds of nasty things that I don't even want to get close to, right? Are you really serious that I'm supposed to be giving myself up for them? <laughs> now, you know what the answer to that is, right? <laughs> Do you? You know what the answer to that is? Read 2 Corinthians chapters 4, 5, and 6. I'm serious. If you're not sure about it, read 2 Corinthians chapters 4, 5, and 6 and see the answer about whether we're really supposed to give ourselves up, not just for my wife and my children, which is gonna be what we're gonna get to yet, but also for my church people, which is what we've been talking about right now, but also for all those out there who don't even know Jesus yet. That's hard. It costs us something. It costs us getting what we want and getting to do what we want to do and getting our needs filled and doing the things our way. It costs us our comfort. It costs us an easy, easy life. It costs us all kinds of things. It costs us time. It costs us energy. It costs us actual things as we give things away and they get squandered. It costs us all kinds of things. It's why it's called a sacrifice. It's why that Jesus, when he did it for us, was said in verse two that he's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And unbelievably, in those verses or those chapters I just referred to, to actually just before 2 Corinthians chapters four, five, and six, it says this, that we are, when we do this, when we sacrifice, when we give ourselves up for other people, we are the aroma of Christ to God. We are that same aroma. That same offering that's wafting up, the smell is wafting up, if you want to put it that way, to God, and it's a pleasing aroma. Now read that very carefully. 
Read that very carefully because it refers or it helps us cement in the Christocentric approach we are to have in our lives. How Jesus is everything. When I give of myself and when I pour myself out and when I empty myself for my spouse, my wife, for my children, for my church family, for the people out there that are lost and dying, when I do all of those things, it is still to God the aroma of Jesus because all I'm doing is doing. Guys, kid you not, by the way, if you want your comic relief or else say an amen to an agreement, they, they said if my battery runs out, that means I'm done, so. <laughs> Joke's on them.
get back in my train of thought here, hopefully. There's a flip side to this, right? We can love and give ourselves, or we can say, I'm going to feed myself. And we read this list of things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. What we're going to see, there's actually a couple of verses. We're going to treat them together. Uh, three, four. It's restated in five. Let me blow my nose again. And we see again that there's a division made, just like there was in the blessing of other people back in, verse, in chapter 4, verses 28, 29. There's a division made between the things we do and the things we say. In verses 28 and 29, it talked about that you should, uh, you should be able to work and, and earn something so you have something to share with other people and bless them. That's tangible, things you do. You should also not let corrupting talk come out of your mouth so that you can share a blessing and encouragement with people. That's things you say. And here's the same thing. We're going to start with the things you do. That's what this list is. That's why I put that verse up first. Sexual immorality. Now, that's a huge one, right? No one said anything. <laughs> you maybe weren't expecting me to stop talking, but that's a huge one, right? It a little, gets a little uncomfortable. If any kind of statistics are to be believed at all, this is a huge deal for us. This is huge. We are not doing so well on this front. We in the church, we're not doing so well on this front. We read what we would think would be unbelievable words when Paul writes to the first Corinthians about how they're involved in some sexual immorality and he's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe you'd even think it'd be like this. And we're like, oh, I know, look at the stuff he's talking about. And I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of, my sense is that's kind of the place that we, the American church is in. That if our eyes are willing to be opened at all, that we are shocked that it's even, <laughs> that, this, that, that we're everything to be known, that it's even, that's even feasible, that, that we would, that anybody would even think that these things are okay. Can I, can I just, <laughs> listen, this is not about, this is not about making you feel horrible. It's about letting you see that there's a way out, that this is not how it should be. These things should not be, it's not proper among the saints. So it's not proper among us. We are the saints. We are the church of Christ. I know you've heard it probably before, but if not, you should hear it again this morning. I can guarantee you if you're a male here today and you're struggling with things like pornography or sexual morality of some kind, I can guarantee you there are other males sitting very close to you that have the same struggle and it's far better for us to talk about them and help each other through than to think that, it isn't, that I must be the only one that's this bad. There is freedom, but you have to be willing to talk about it. You have to be willing to be honest about it. This, by the way, is not just a male problem anymore. I don't know if you know this or not. It's not a male problem only. Actually, we could talk about the next one, the impurity, because they're, they're, they're kind of wrapped together. And I think every one of us are hit with some of those, by one of those three words. Heidi and I were just talking not too long ago, and, it's, it, and, and sort of this, this thought that it's such a big deal in our churches, and yet we apparently never talk about it. And I think that ought to change, Right? I mean, it's real in my life. I know there's others sitting here, but I know there's a lot more sitting here that I don't know about because they haven't talked about it. Maybe they have to somebody, and that's good if you do. I can assure you, find someone that you trust, and 
of the same gender and talk to them, share your struggle, and I can almost, I mean, I probably can't 100% guarantee you, but I can almost 100% guarantee you that they're going to know what you're talking about. I don't know how else to read these words, brothers and sisters. I can't, I can't, like, well, I'm glad my mic is on now because I'm not yelling anymore and I want you to hear me. I don't know how else to read them. There's a contrast set up. We should walk in love, giving ourselves to those around us. And this kind of stuff, feeding our flesh in the sexual realm, is not giving ourselves to other people. It's taking for myself over and over and over again. It's fulfilling the lust of the flesh. These things are not proper for saints. And it's not, it's, it's the things we're thinking about. It's the things that we're doing. It's the things we're looking at. It's all of those. I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves you and does not want that in your life if, that's, if it's there. And he has a path to walk out of it. It's gonna begin with some humility. I, can, I, I know it. It's gonna take humility in your part to say, <laughs> I need help. I need a brother to walk with me. I need a sister to help keep me accountable. I find it interesting. I don't know if you ever think about why these words came up. I find it interesting that he names sexual morality and impurity and covetousness. And when you go back to the book of Acts, and you remember when they drafted a letter because they're having a struggle with what they should ask of the Gentile believers? They drafted a letter about what they, should, what, what they think they should have to do not all this other Jewish stuff, but there's some other stuff they should do. And here's what they wrote in their letter. This is from Acts chapter 15. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, if you look in verse 5, it repeats some of these here in our text. Verse uh, 3 and verse 5 repeat some of the same ones. And you get some of those same ones, right? Things, things having to do with idolatry, which he's putting the word covetousness with idolatry. Things that have to do with that, being sexually immoral, being impure. That's, that was the prohibition on blood, was the impurity, of the focus on the fact that Jesus' blood is pure. That's what's redeemed us. And when we do anything that makes us impure, when we put anything, mix anything else in with that, then we are making ourselves impure. And that's not okay. We belong to God. We are marked with Jesus' Holy Spirit. We've been washed and cleansed by his blood. We'll talk about that tonight as we go celebrate communion. This, in fact, is a perfect time to have this discussion because I want you here tonight at communion. I really do. I want all of you here tonight at communion, and I want you to be able to come with a free and clear conscience that when you partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that you're not eating and drinking condemnation on your head. There's a distinction being made, right? We are to be imitators of God, God who is pure and holy, God who is righteous and just in all things, God who loves and out of love gives of himself, and then those who walk according to the flesh, that's what Galatians, the, the works of the flesh, and those things are obvious, it says, and it names a few of these things. They're the things that we do that bring impurities to our bodies, which are dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. They're not just the things we do, they're the things we say, right? Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, all kinds of things coming out of our mouths, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Now it's clear, right? Jesus said that our words only come, I mean, the, the, 
the, the source of our words is where? It's what's happening inside of here. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Which means the things that come out, it's just what's in here. If you don't like what's coming out here, it's because there's something in here that's not correct. So they go together, right? Our actions are born out of what's in here. Our words are born out of what's in here. Just like all over in scripture, that nasty little list I just read that makes us all be really quiet and think, oh man, this got really real in here. There's all kinds of lists in scripture that make it very clear that these are not appropriate for God's people. There's all kinds of lists, all kinds of scriptures that talk about what is appropriate for God's people to say. Few of them are as clear or as strong as James. So I'm just going to read James to you this morning. James chapter, uh, what is it? James chapter three, verses five, and te- five to 10. He's talking about a, a ship being steered by a little rudder, a tiny little thing that makes the whole thing go where it get, wants to go. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. Oof. Those are strong words, my friends. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Kind of comes back to what I said before. We can't pretend that we are full of love and a great relationship this way when it's not going this way. You see, I say it all the time, and I think this morning, just as a a fresh reminder, it's great for us to get together at church and have all kinds of talks about what sounds great and high and lofty theological kind of things. And I can tell when you're sitting here this morning the things I just said, and I told you I'd like to talk about all the good stuff last and not first, and the bad stuff first and not last, but it came to us in the other direction this week, so we're gonna, we're gonna do it in the other direction. I could tell by, by just the change of atmosphere in the room. How easy it is for us to deal with things up here in our head theologically and how real it gets when we are beginning to talk about what's actually true in our life. But that's the point of why we do what we do, guys. You will not get into heaven based on your right theology. You will not get into heaven because you know all the things that you should be doing. You will get into heaven when you recognize that God loved you and gave Jesus, and Jesus loved you and gave himself for you, and that when we love, we give ourselves back to him and we give ourselves to each other. I don't know how else to break apart the text this morning. I don't relish being a killjoy. Jesus said this. We're talking about the things we say. These are words that Jesus said. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, that's a really scary verse for me because I say a lot of words. People that know me know. I say a lot of words, I talk a lot. I don't really care if you say a lot of words or don't say any words because it's the same standard, right? By the words you give, you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. 
Again, that's true. That's true because our words are indicative of what's in here, right? It's, it's, it, 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 it illustrates what's actually going on in here, the things that come out. Those may be words that you say to other people. Those may be words you say about other people. That might get us in more trouble than anything else, right? The words we say about other people, not to them, but about them. It's amazing how free we are to be critical of other people and tell them, tell someone else about all the things they're doing wrong when we won't ever walk up to that person and tell them that. <laughs> It'd be really nice if I could just sort of take all that, lift it up and say, let's talk about something a lot more exciting. Unfortunately, I, that's, I teach the text as it comes. It's true, the end result of whether you are engaged in actions that are not befitting to the saints or whether you are engaged in saying things that are not befitting of the saints, which have no room, to, should not be coming out of our mouth, the end result is the same. It's those people that have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's what Ephesians 5, verses 5 says. Which is, by the way, a direct contradiction to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, when we are in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained an inheritance. When we are not in Christ, when we are doing things we ought not to do or saying things we ought not to say, because we're not actually in Christ, you recognize it's because of that, then we have no inheritance anymore. We've lost our inheritance. And then if that's not bad enough, as if we somehow maybe want to put ourselves in some kind of neutral spot, that like, yeah, there's better things I could be doing, but at least, you know, I'm just, there's a few bad things, but it kind of moves me back to zero, kind of like neutral. Paul actually puts the nail in the coffin, so to speak, by the very last verse we read this morning. Because he says, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Don't let anyone try to tell you that, like, you, you can get by sometimes feeding your flesh. Or you can be, there's a few times you can let a careless word slip out. Or it's okay sometimes. When you're really upset or when they've been really unkind to you or when things really aren't going your way or when you've really had it tough or when, when, when we feel justified because my situation's just a little different. He says, don't let anyone deceive you. It doesn't matter. In fact, that doesn't just move you back to zero. It is actually for this reason. It's because of these things that God's wrath is coming. It's not like there's some kind of neutrality here where you can be good or just like, well, some bad things come out. It's actually the bad thing. It's the reason that God is going to pour out his wrath or on those things we talked about. The, the sexual immorality and the covetousness and the idolatry and the words we say, the filthy talk, the obscene stuff, the, 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 the crudeness, the, the, the critical uh, speaking of each other. It's, it's those reasons, the ways that we treat each other and the ways that we feed ourselves and say, I want to do what I want to do and not what you want me to do. It's because of those things that's the very reason that there will be wrath of God poured out. I mean, we already experienced some of that now, but let me tell you, if you read the end of the book, we have not seen anything yet. You already all know this, but it ain't going to be pretty. When God's wrath is poured out, even more than what we may think it's being poured out now, when that happens, it's not... <laughs> Read it. Read Revelation and you'll see. Revelation is the climactic book of all the great things that God is going to do. But before you get there, there's a lot of ugly, difficult, horrible, painful, I don't want any part of it kind of stuff going on. Because God's righteous wrath is going to be poured out upon those who do these things, the sons of disobedience. I say all of that this morning. 
I, I bring the high bar, I bring the mess we find ourselves in, and sometimes the vast gulf in between. I bring all of that to you this morning, friends, brothers and sisters. I bring it just so that I can beg of you to make a decision to move you from out of this place to this place. To say, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can walk through freedom. Today is the day to acknowledge my life is a mess and I need Jesus. And I don't care if that's the first time or the millionth time you've done that. The necessity is still the same. Because you still need Jesus today. And you still need to reconcile the reality that in me, there's nothing good that's going to come out. If I live for myself, it will not get me to where I want to end up. But I want to be like God. I want to imitate God as a beloved child and love him and love others around me and give myself to him first and to those around me, no matter what that may look like, no matter what cost that may be, because I recognize that that is a sweet and fragrant offering and sacrifice to my God. That is where I want you to be this morning. I don't really care how you get there. I just beg of you to get there. God, as we pray to you this morning, I don't know what all you're doing here among us. I don't know how, I don't know where people's hearts are at. I can tell by just the, the change in atmosphere here that the stuff we talked about is real. It's not in some theoretical study somewhere, but it's real. And I know you've given us this precious opportunity this morning to make ourselves, to put ourselves in a place of submission to you. And so God, I just invite you to work here as we close out this service. I invite you, your Holy Spirit, to bring out of us the obedience that you want. Perhaps there's some here this morning that wanna walk up front and just kneel down here at the steps and spend some time with you to make any confession they want, to ask for your forgiveness for anything they want, to do any preparation they need for the service tonight for communion. Perhaps they need to go talk to somebody else after the service. Perhaps they need to go to their knees. Whether Perhaps they need to walk out of the room. Perhaps they need to, I, I don't know, you, Holy Spirit, need to be in charge of us. But I believe if it's true that by our words we will be justified or by our words we'll be condemned, the words you're looking for is for us to confess that I have no righteousness or ability to save myself, but I need Jesus Christ, and I want Jesus Christ in my room. I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need him. Those are the words that will justify us. And so I pray this morning, God, as we end the service, that you would do that work in us, that you would bring those words out. And then congregation, I'm just gonna stop for a little bit. Brothers and sisters, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. I'm gonna stop for a little bit. I'm gonna invite you to respond to the Holy Spirit as he's asking you to do. If that means walking up front here and praying, please do so. If that means coming and getting me to pray for you, I would be glad to, or getting someone else. If that means walking out of the room. If that means waiting till afterwards and talking to someone, please, please, please do what needs to be done in obedience to the Holy Spirit this morning. If that means speaking out loud that you want Jesus to be your savior so that you know that your words were justifying you and not condemning you, uh, I would invite you to do that in the quietness uh, that's gonna be coming. It doesn't matter if it's out loud. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter that it is out loud. I want you to do that if that's what the Holy Spirit is asking of you. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the people next to you think. What matters is what the Lord Jesus Christ knows about your condition of your heart and where he wants it to be.